justified. Amen. God bless you all this evening. Come expecting. Amen. Let's just sing the song. This came into my mind just in the back study there. I thought we should sing it tonight. Amen. I was sitting alone and wondering.
the service of the word prayer this evening. We sing this chorus and the verses a few times. We have just one prayer request for our brother Paul Neighbor. He's just had surgery and he's asking for a total recovery and speedy recovery. Amen. And there's many needs amongst us, uh, different ones with cancer, and we just want to keep those up before the Lord. Amen. Let's just sing this a few times. There are two roads. Oh, you. Jesus, to set our wings, O oh God, to the winds of faith, O oh Father. Lord, that we can rise, O oh God, above the elements of this world, O oh Father, and to step into a place, O oh Father, of faith, O oh God, where each heart is joined together, O oh God, and we're interceding on the behalf of our precious loved ones, O oh God, our brothers and our sisters in Christ Jesus, O oh God, not just in this assembly, O oh God, but around the world, O oh Father. Lord, there's very much needs in the body, O oh Father. We think of the different ones, O oh Father. In India, O oh God, we think of Brother Deepak, O oh God, as he's laboring there, O oh Father, and we think of his precious wife, O oh Father, who's battling cancer, Lord Jesus. 
We pray, O oh God, that the winds of faith, O oh Father, would rise up, O oh Father, amongst us, O oh Father. And, O oh God, that this demon of cancer that's afflicting so many, O oh Father, would be vanquished, O oh Father. Lord God, we think of the different ones that are suffering, O oh Father. Names, O oh God, that might not be remembered, O oh God, right now, O oh Father, but you know them, O oh Father. Lord Jesus, you know each one, O oh Father. We pray that you'd go to them, O oh God, and raise them up out of their bed of affliction, O oh Father. And, O oh God, that your power, O oh God, would be revealed, O oh God, within their lives, O oh Father, and would drive out, O oh God, this demon, O oh Father, that is trying to snuff out their life, O oh Father. O oh God, for we believe in a God that is stronger, O oh God, than any demon power of hell, O oh God. We believe in a God, O oh Father, that's stronger than any sickness, O oh Father. Anything that is trying to come against the bride of Jesus Christ, it will not prevail, O oh Father, for we serve a God that is mighty. We serve a God that is powerful. We serve a God that when he speaks, it is done. It is finished. For you are the amen, O oh God. You are the final answer, O oh God. You have the final say, Lord Jesus. The devil may come in, in like a flood and he might go around like a roaring lion, O Father, but you are the lion of the tribe of Judah, O Father, and you will prevail, O God, in all things, O Father. We, O God, think of Brother Todd, O God, Brother Todd, neighbor at this moment, O Father. Would you go to him, O Father? Would you give him a speedy recovery, O Father? Would you, O God, renew the cells that need to be renewed, O Father? O God, would you raise them up for your glory, O Father? O God, I think of now, O God, as I've just heard my brother Ray, O God, in the Caribbean, O Father, is suffering at the moment, O Father, with a sickness, O oh Father. They think it might be cancer, O oh God. Lord, I pray, O oh God, that you drive it from him, O oh God. And O oh God, in even a greater need for his soul, O oh God. Would you go to him, O oh God, where he is, O oh Father? And will you come by his way, O oh Father? And may he see, O oh God, that he's even at this moment, O oh Father, when he may feel his weakest, they look up to you and call upon your name, O oh Father, for his salvation, O oh Father. That's a desire, O oh God, to see sinners weep their way to Calvary, O oh Father, to find their place back in the fold, O oh Father. Lord God, where you, O oh God, have spread a table, O oh God, where you have given us sustenance, O oh Father, where you have given us the body word, O oh Father, which we can feed upon and be renewed, oh God. So we pray, oh God, that even this evening, oh God, as you come, oh God, to bring the word, oh Father, remove the man out of the way, oh Father, and speak to each heart, oh Father. Deal with each one sovereignly, oh Father. Lord Jesus, I pray, oh God, that such a presence would come down, oh Father, and capture all of us, O oh Father. Oh God, bring us up higher, O oh God, to a place, O oh Father, where we truly belong, O oh Father, where we can look, O oh God, not unto, O oh God, the things that may distract us here in this realm, O oh Father, but look unto the unseen, O oh Father, where you, O oh God, can move, O oh Father, where you can deal with hearts and deal with lives, O oh Father, and cause those that are away from you to come back to you, O oh God. Not There may not even be, O oh God, in this assembly at the moment, O oh Father, but you can go to the them, where they're, wherever they are, O oh Father, the highways, the byways, their bedside, their room, O oh God, wherever it may be, O oh Father, and quicken, O oh God, their hearts to you, O oh Father, we pray. Lord God, another need, O oh Father, for, O 
Oh God, some devastation and flooding that's happening on the island of Dominica. Oh Father, we pray that you just keep the people safe. Oh Father, there's believers there. Oh Father, we have family there. And pray, oh God, that you'd encamp your angels round about them and keep them, oh God. And we pray, oh God, that you be with the remainder of the service, oh Father. Speak to each heart. Deal with each one, oh Father. May we do our part and pull on the word, oh Father. Lord, pray that you give the man of God strength, oh Father, that he may be able to, oh God, remove himself out of the way and let you, oh God, speak through him, oh Father, we pray. We ask all these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. God bless you. Nice to see you all this Wednesday evening. Brother Jean Manassi will be speaking this evening. Amen. It's going to be a treat. We're expecting you can start just playing the goodness of God, if you don't mind. We've returned back from the Philippines, and I thought I'd say something and thank you all for your prayers. And on Sunday, I didn't know which eyeball was turning left or right, so I didn't, Michael says, Are you sure you don't want to say something to the people? I said, I don't even know if I say the right words, whether they come out of my mouth. But I wanted to thank you all for your prayers and and we had a tremendous time. Went over there uh, for a couple of reasons. Over 10 years ago, there was devastation by Yolanda, a typhoon that hit uh, Manila and destroyed uh, on a particular island crops of the people. And Brother Bisco woke up one morning and he, with an urgency on his heart that we needed to send some funds to the Philippines and uh, funds were sent, crops were restored, the village and the different people within the community marveled because they have a whole Filipino government, they have the Catholic Church that's running the place as far as a religious system is concerned and they were wondering how on earth did these certain people get the funds to have their farms restored and it was because of, of a burden and a vision of Brother Biscoll. And they wanted to show some appreciation, and we've never had the opportunity over the years to get to that island. And by the grace of God, uh, there's a pastor by the name of Brother Bucky, and I'll be giving us a, a report, a little bit of a report next Wednesday. This weekend, I'll be down in Dallas, Texas with Brother David McGeary. It'll be my last trip for the year, and get all that COVID commitments done. I'll be back home and, and back with people I love so dearly. And um, so we, we got to the island and we landed in another typhoon. And um, I know we say the word typhoon and most of you think, well, is that a hurricane, typhoon, whatever. Well, it was big enough to destroy 63 bridges. So it, it was not one of those nice little, um, we weren't having a holiday, Brother Joe. We were definitely forging through, and, and uh, the, hum the humbling part of this whole, and I'll, I'll speak about it, and I needed a week or two to get my emotions intact, in is that the funds that they had saved for their next crop, because all their crops were once again destroyed, they used those funds to have a dinner for Joanne and I. And uh, it's, it's beyond humbling to see people in the mountains and the way that they live, the way that they sacrifice. 
And these are wonderful people. These are people that you and I love so dearly. They love this message with all their heart. And uh, the other part is, they never asked for a penny. They, they weren't there asking for a handout. And I got to the airport and the pastor handed me a little envelope. And I couldn't dare take it because that's not what I do and I don't like that. And, and I took it. He says, you have to give it. You have to take it because we're going to give it in love. And this is from the people. So I didn't want to open it. I opened it in my room. As we got ready to come home, 78 cents. That was my offering from a people that sacrificed everything that had nothing. And I, I wanted to thank the Lord. We can be a part of a, a great group of people such as this. Brother that is a single brother who is 20 some odd years old when he started to work all by himself. He went door to door on a bicycle and has a group of over a hundred and some odd people. Built the pews himself, built the church himself. He's a brother that I love. His name's Brother Bucky. And Brother Vernon said, You're the first white man that's ever come to this island to preach to these people. And they love you for it. Joanne spent as much time with the sisters as I did with the brothers. And it was a blessed time, and I want to thank you for allowing me to be a part of you to, to go there. Thank God for a godly pastor as a vision. And that vision doesn't, it doesn't stop. It's continued for over 10 some odd years. And, and by the grace of God, we will continue going and supporting them, Brother Vernon Manahan. Wanted to pass along his love and greetings. We had a 25-year anniversary. Actually, it was 27 years, but we threw COVID away. And we had 25 years of a blessed time and services with them. And uh, I'll go through that. And when Brother Leon Gerland shows, comes back to church and you see him at the back door, will you shake his hand for me? Um, he wouldn't let me carry my backpack. He wouldn't let me do anything. He watched over Joanne and I like a, like a soldier, a trooper. He wasn't going to let anything happen to us. So please, for me, thank our precious brother, Leon Garland. We were over there. We did a wedding also, his son's wedding. We Dan, Dan, Danny, Daniel Garland, and his wife, Shekinah. Lord willing, they'll be moving here. So we'll add to the body. So we had, we had quite a little time, and uh, I'm happy to be home. We do need to remember Brother Paul, neighbor, he had his knees operated on and going through a lot of pain, and I know what that is. And he's keeping me abreast, and we just want to keep our precious Brother Paul. He's, he's getting up there in years, and it seems like maybe pain gets a little bit more over, overbearing. So please remember him. And uh, we want to announce Brother Andrew Glover. We'll be taking our uh, youth camp in February, and he's agreed to come, and we're going to have another great time in the presence of God. Well, let's stand and, and have our precious Brother Jean come and minister to us.
And let's just think of the goodness of God. All you prayer brothers, it's all worth it all. It goes around the world. Your testimony and what, what we've been praying for is, has an effect. So let's just sing it to the glory of God and invite our brothers home. I love you, Lord.
wonder if as we go into the word we can just all lift up our voices for a moment here and just pray together as a church there's many needs in our midst we heard about brother paul neighbor sister vandy and sister claire there's just so many needs tonight lord but i like i wonder if we could just release all our burdens now so that we can focus on the service and focus on the word and express to the lord all that we need of right now this very moment as we're saying he is faithful all our lives, He's been so faithful to us. He keeps His word. Heavenly Father, tonight we gather as a church, Lord God, to feast at your table, Lord. To feed upon your word, Lord God. Father, we want to focus on your word tonight as the song will say. Just forget about yourself. Concentrate on Him and worship, Lord God. We've come to the table of the Lord to be fed. Father, but we have burdens tonight, Lord. So we express them at this very moment, Lord. For the knees are in the body, Father. For our sister Vandy, Lord, as, as Brother Gabriel prayed, Father, all the way in India, in need of surgery, oh God. You are the God who still heals the sick. Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. You do not change, Father. If you healed of cancer yesterday, you can certainly do it today, Father. Our faith doesn't change in your word because we believe in an unchanging God. Your power is yet the same, oh God. I pray tonight. Let virtue come from Calvary, O oh God, into our body, O oh God. And let all those cells of cancer be destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. You are still the creator, O oh God. You can create new cells where it needs to be, O oh God. For every single person in our ministry that is in need tonight, Lord, even amongst our own congregation here, so many needs. I pray, Father, that you show yourself faithful, Lord, as you've declared it to be so. You have been so good and you're a faithful God. You keep your word, O oh God minister to your people tonight father i pray let this be an appointed time for us lord to receive from you in the name of jesus christ amen and let's turn to the word thank you musician stand opening the book of job chapter six in the book of job chapter six verse six Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Let's turn in the New Testament in the book of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9, we'll read in verse, verse 49. So Job said in chapter 6, Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? And here in Mark chapter 9, Jesus says in verse 49, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, as we read your word, Lord, Father, I pray much this week, Lord, that you take the burden that you place upon my heart this past few weeks, Lord that not only will I be able to share it or express it, but through the preaching of the word, it may be transferred into the hearts of the people. That's my desire tonight. Take your word, minister to us, Lord. Put the man aside. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. May I have your seat. As you see there, we can turn also in a, in a familiar chapter here, Matthew chapter 5, the chapter of the Beatitudes. I will read from verse... 13, Matthew 5, verse 13. 
ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Verse 14, ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Amen. I've been pondering on this, this chapter, chapter 5 of Matthew, for several weeks now, and I, and I just couldn't shake it off. Uh, it's a very familiar scripture. You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And, and I began to study on salt and light, and just the past few weeks, the Holy Spirit just zeroed me in young on this thought of salt. Uh, I was in a prayer meeting on Monday, and, and uh, several brothers started sharing, and Brother Roy and Brother Sam were sharing about the burden that they have to be able to, to just be a witness and uh, Brother Timothy Otoko, he, he played a clip from his service from Brother Ed Bisco on the light of Eden. And, and my heart was bursting within me. I couldn't contain myself I, as this was a burden of my heart. Um, so we might not be touching on light tonight, but I would like to focus on salt. My, my title tonight is A Burden for Salt. A Burden for Salt. Now, salt in history, salt was known as white gold. And it was one of the most significant substances in history, along with iron, gold, and wheat. And salt has been an important and integral part of society for centuries and centuries, and it's interwoven with society. Today, when we talk about salt, you look at, you, you think about the salt shaker that you have on your dining table. But back in the days, it was much more valuable than it is today. It was, it was a very precious mineral. And the word, even the word salad, comes from the word salt, because in, back in the early days, Romans will be salting, they'll put some salt on the leafy greens and vegetables. That's where the word salad comes from. And salt is also crucial, is of crucial importance economically. That's why we have the expression, not worth his salt. It stems from the practice of the Greeks when they were trading slaves for salt. And uh, special salt rations were given to early Roman soldiers, and they were known as salarium argentum, which means salt money. And that's where the word salary comes from. And uh, it's also the origin of the word salvation. So salvation, salad, salary, all those words come from salt. In 2200 BC, the, there's, a Chinese, there's a Chinese emperor, I'm not sure if I can pronounce the name right here, Xiaoyu, he imposed one of the first known taxes. It was a salt tax. And even in, in France, in the 1200s, uh, one of the kings imposed what, what was called in French the gabelle, which was a, a tax on salt, which ultimately led to the French Revolution. People got tired of paying taxes for salt because salt was so precious, and then kingdoms were built upon salt. Even cities, like the cities in Germany of Salzburg, is named after salt. And so when, when the French emperor instituted that tax, it caused a French revolution. People say, we are not going to be paying more money for salt because it was such an expensive currency. It was an expensive mineral. It was very precious. In, in Timbuktu, in the Sahara Desert, they valued salt as highly as gold. So most people today, when we think about salt, they think about the white granular uh, seasoning found in salt shakers, as I mentioned, but it's more than just that. You know, in, in ancient Greece, 
the worshippers consecrated salt in the rituals. And even the Jews in the temple offered all the sacrifices with salt, as we'll see in the scripture today. Until this day, on the day of the Sabbath, some Jews still ate bread and salt to commemorate uh, the law of Moses. Salt was also used for covenants. And Brother Balaam will talk about that, for example, in Japan, like they will use salt as a covenant. So when you, have, when you partake of the salt together, you, you, get, you enter into a covenant. And back in the days in ancient Israel, like if you invited somebody over in your house and you sat down with them and ate bread and ate salt, they became your friend. You couldn't do any harm to that person because you entered into a, what is called a salt covenant. So sharing salt was a symbol of friendship and hospitality. But there was also a lot of superstition associated with salt. You know, in Leonardo da Vinci's uh, painting of The Last Supper, where Jesus is in the center with all the disciples around him, you can see on the table that Judas had just spilled salt. And back then, spilling salt was known as, as bad luck. Until this day, in certain cultures, if you spill the salt, it's a sign of bad luck. Even in the Buddhist tradition, they think that salt can be used to repel evil spirits. So when you actually go to a funeral and you come in, you come back from a funeral, they will ask you to sprinkle some salt in your house before you enter in to chase off the bad spirits away. So there's a lot of superstition associated with salt as well. And actually, I find it amazing that in, in ancient Scotland, they used to pour some salt in, in their beer because they thought that the, the devil would come and ruin the beer for them. So in, today, salt is used for a lot, a lot of things, for de-icing, it's used for flavor enhancement, it's used for food preservation, it's used for fertilization, and it's also an essential element in the diet of not only humans, but also of animals and plants. And it's the most effective and most widely used of all the other food preservatives. Today, there's more than 14,000 applications of salt. The human body contains approximately 40 teaspoons of salt in your human body, and it, it helps the body transmit nerve signals, and it enables your muscles to contract and relax, and it enables your heart to pump blood and digest nutrients and fight off infections. But every time we sweat or cry, we, we lose salt. So the health authorities they actually recommend that an adult should have about 1,500 to 2,300 milligrams of salt per day, which corresponds to about uh, small bags of potato chips or two California rolls, for those who love sushi. But meanwhile, if you were to eat of a, a meal consisting of a burger and fries, you would have consumed 3,400 milligrams of salt, which is far above your daily limit. I hear someone say, can you just preach? Don't ruin my food for me. But if you go about 10 days without salt, you begin to feel extremely tired, and you will lose strength. You won't even be able to eat. You will lose all taste in your taste buds, and your blood cells will begin to swell, because there wouldn't be enough salt in your blood to regulate how much water your cells should intake. That will eventually lead to seizure, to coma, even to death. And plants and animals also need salt as part of the ecosystem. And if you remove all the salt from the ocean, well, you remove the oxygen from the earth, and there will be a sharp increase in carbon dioxide 
and we will start experiencing extreme weather swings. And humans will experience all sorts of heart attacks, vomiting, heart failure, seizures, and ultimately death, just because there wasn't salt. That's how important salt is in society. That's how important salt was for the economies back in the days. That's how important salt is even in the function of our planet. And that's how important salt is even in the function of the human body. Salt is important. Now, in the scriptures, salt was a symbol of death. As you see in Genesis chapter 19, as Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Jeremiah and David in the Psalms compare a desolate land to a salt land where nobody lives. And sometimes it was used to render uh, a land infertile by spreading salt over the land so that nothing will grow in that land. You can see that in Judges chapter 9, verse 45. I'm just laying a foundation quickly here. And salt was also used for healing and for purification. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, I'll read for you. It says, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him, and he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. And there shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. So in this city, they needed a healing of the waters. And Elisha said, bring me a cruise. But not only bring me a cruise, he says, bring me salt. And when he took a handful of salt and threw it in the water, behold, the waters were healed. Where there was death, the presence of salt produced life. Where there was death, the presence of salt changed the situation and turned death into, into life. Water that could not be drank of became all of a sudden sweet. Why? Salt. Salt. Salt can change death into life. If there's spiritual death around you, all you need is a little bit of salt. Take a handful of salt and pour it out, and salt will turn the death into life. Baram says, and of course, they were changing, and, and they had to have a new fountain open up, and so you cannot put new wine into old bottles. It will burst them, you know. I think today is a day where we need a change of water. Amen to that? It says, we need a cruise of salt, a new cruise of salt in which there has never been anything before, a cruise that's been consecrated, a cruise that's been emptied, that we can pour salt into that cruise. And God usually does that. He says, rise up some little person out of somewhere that knows nothing. Somebody who knows nothing about your theology. He says, throw in a little bit of salt in there. Throw in a cruise of salt into some old ecclesiastic water, he says. The first thing you know, it all becomes sweet again. That's what we need tonight. That's what we need again is another dash of salt. Don't you think so? He says, to sweeten up the water. Remember, he took a brand new cruise. Worrying there was nothing, and he put salt in the cruise. He says, now salt, it's a savor if it contacts. But it's got to come in contact first. It's got to make contact. That's what we need tonight, he says. We need a dash of salt. We need cruises. We need vessels that will empty themselves where the Holy Spirit can start pouring out salt. 
And then, then when you go away being a cruise full of salt and you come into waters that are bitter, you can turn the waters and make them sweet again. If you're full of salt and you're in a situation where there's death around you in your family, and if you're full of salt, the salt that's in you will change the situation, turn the death into life again. Why? Salt. That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9 when we read. He said, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Every sacrifice. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 4 says, And as for thy nativity in the day that was born, that navel was not cut, neither that was washed in water to supply thee, but that was not salted at all. So they also used salt back in the days when a baby was born. Now, salt was also used for sacrifices, and which is what I want to emphasize on as we read Mark chapter 9 there, talking about every sacrifice being salted with salt. Jesus is actually quoting Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And every oblation of thy meat offering, or also known as meal offering, shall thou season with salt. Neither shall thou suffer, here it is, the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy offering. With all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt. Three times. God emphasized three times. When you bring a meal offering to me, make sure there is salt. He says, you shall season it with salt. First time. He says, you shall not suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking. And the third time he says, with all thine offerings, whether it be a peace offering, whether it be a free will offering, whether it be a burnt offering or a meal offering, any offering that you bring to God, he requires salt. Now, if you read the, the preceding verse in verse 11 and 12, it says this. No meat offering which shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering of the Lord made by fire. As for the oblation of thy first fruits, you shall offer them unto the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet savor. God says, I don't want honey. God is not asking for sweetness. He's asking for salt. He's making sure that when you're going to present a sacrifice and an offering to him, you're not putting any honey in it. He says, I don't want any sweetness. What I want is a people that is salty. I want a sacrifice of salt. Don't pour any honey in it. All I want is salt. It's not about, oh, this person is so sweet. It's, you're not called to be sweet. You're called to be salty. Ezekiel 43 says this, verse 23, 24. When thou hast made an end of cleansing, thou shalt offer a young bullock with blame, without blemish and a ram of the flock without blemish. And thou shalt offer them before the Lord, and the priests shall cast salt upon them, and they shall offer them up for a burnt offering unto the Lord. Now, in Ezra chapter 6, when the, when the king Darius allowed Ezra to go back and rebuild the temple, it says this, and the, the king says to all his governors, he said, And that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offering and the God of heaven, he says, provide them with wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests. Let it be given them day by day without fail. So day by day, all the priests had a daily provision consisting of wheat, wine, oil, and salt. Because without salt, the priests couldn't do their jobs. 
Without salt, no offering would be accepted by God. Without salt, no worship could be pleasing unto God. No sacrifice could be acceptable unto God without salt. That's why Job says in the scripture, can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Salt was also used as a covenant as we read in in Leviticus chapter 2. It says, that shall not suffer the salt of the covenant. See, in Numbers 18, 19, it says, All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee, and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt. In Second Chronicles 13, 5, it says, Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt. There it is again. So salt was used in the scripture to establish a covenant because it was a type of an everlasting covenant, a covenant that will last, just like salt lasts forever. So by being the salt of the earth, Jesus is saying that you're entering into a covenant with me. Matthew 5, 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the salt of the earth. First of all, it's a statement. It's not you can be. It's not you might become. It's not if you desire you will be. He's saying that's what you are. Each person here, God has made you salt. You are the salt of the earth. It's a statement of fact. In, second, uh, in uh, Mark 9, and we read, it says, Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Luke 13 says this, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? Colossians chapter 4, 6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, all the sacrifices that we read, Burn offering, meal offering, free will offering, the Lord required salt. And I put required in all caps. Salt was not optional. Salt was a requirement. The God of Israel required of every worshiper to present the sacrifices with salt. God didn't want to accept a sacrifice without salt. So if you brought in the meal offering, that took a lot of work to prepare. Because you have to ground every grain of wheat into flour. And you have to mix it with olive oil and sprinkle some frankincense on it, according to the scripture. And you have to make sure that the dough had no lump. It had to be perfect. Every single grain had to be grounded to perfection, showing that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then you had to bake a cake, an offering, and you brought it to the Lord. But if you forgot the salt... If you forgot the salt, all your labor was in vain. It doesn't matter how many hours you spend in the scorching sun collecting the wheat. It doesn't matter how many hours you spend pounding all the grains into flour. It doesn't matter how many hours or how many times you burn yourself trying to bake that cake. If ultimately you didn't put salt in it, all your labor was in vain. God said, I see the labor, I see the sacrifice, but where is the salt? You made your way to the temple. Maybe it was a three-hour journey. Maybe it was a four-hour journey. Maybe you came from a different city and it took you two days to get to the temple. If you forgot the salt, God will not accept that offering. Because he requires salt. With every offering, he requires salt. Salt was used as a preservative because of lack of refrigeration. So if you spend all night fishing... 
and you're struggling to catch anything. And finally, after many hours and countless hours and countless attempts and failures, you're able to catch something and maybe your friends come and help you and you pull your net with all your strength and you, and you have all the fish in the board and you go home and then you realize you don't have salt. And there's nowhere to find salt anywhere near you. All your labor meant that all the fish that you caught will spoil. All of it will be corrupt. Corruption will set in. And everything that you did will be in vain because there isn't salt. So all the labor, every single offering represents a labor. And Paul talks about it. Is that we, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, in Romans chapter 12, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. So your bodies are a living sacrifice. It's an offering to God. But if you present yourself to God as a reasonable service without salt, not acceptable. Because God requires salt. If you lift up your hands and worship, and you offer Him the worship and the praise and the sacrifice of your lips, if there isn't any salt, it's unacceptable. If you get on your knees and you pray for hours, if there isn't any salt, it's unacceptable. You can level all you want from the kingdom of God, but if you're lacking salt, it's in vain. I don't mean to be hard tonight, but I, I have a burden, and I pray that I'm able to deliver the burden tonight. Is that God requires salt, not labor. He doesn't require all your labor in vain. He wants your labor and your sacrifices to be sprinkled with salt. That's what He requires, salt, not honey, not sweetness, salt. If your sacrifice doesn't have salt, it cannot be accepted. It's not acceptable unto God. Every sacrifice that we offer, whether it be our lives, the presence of our lips, the prayers that we offer, they must have salt. Do not offer to God an unsavory sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is better to say, I did not pray, than it is to say, I did pray, and yet only to have gone through a form. It is better to have to confess I did not sing than to follow the tune when your heart is not in it. You had better leave off the external form than keep up, keep it up if your soul be not in it, lest you be found to mock the Most High God. The songwriter says this, you bring your sacrifices and you offer up your praise. You lift your voice with singing, but your heart seems far away. More than a sacrifice, I'm looking for your life. Holy and acceptable and pleasing in my sight. Salt. God requires salt. Nobody here would enjoy a meal without salt. If you are forced to eat unsavory dishes, how would that taste? Imagine eating baked potatoes or mashed potatoes with no salt. A piece of chicken or a piece of meat with no salt. A life where you must eat unsavory meals for the rest of your life. Is that something that you desire? No. Then why would God accept unsavory sacrifices? If you cannot eat food without salt, why would God be forced to accept sacrifices without flavor? Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? So sacrifices were means for man and God to be in good terms. And whether it's a sin offering or free will offering, each sacrifice had to be salted with salt. And God is making it clear that salt is a key element 
for man and God to be on good terms. Because salt participates in reconciliation. When you're offering salt, we are offering a sacrifice of salt, it puts you back on good terms because God accepts your sacrifice. So if you do not have salt, there cannot be any reconciliation. You are the salt of the earth. What is God saying? You are going to participate. You are a key ingredient into the ministry of reconciliation. But if the salt loses its purpose, what is it good for? If you bought something that was not serving its purpose and its intended purpose, why would you keep it? If you purchase a light bulb to illuminate a room and that light bulb didn't function anymore, it didn't work anymore, why would you keep it? Because it ceased to serve the purpose for which it was purchased. So the, the light bulb is only as good as its purpose. Salt is only as good as long as it can be used for the purpose that God has in mind. The moment the salt doesn't serve its purpose anymore, what is it good for? Nothing. Now, salt can actually not lose its saltiness. But what Jesus is saying here back in the days, we were talking about crystals and minerals, is that if they became corrupt and if they became mixed with other minerals, they could no longer be used for the purpose. That's what it means for salt to lose its saltiness, that it's no longer useful to its intended purpose. It doesn't mean that salt is no longer salt. It doesn't cease to become salt, but it ceases to be useful. A Christian doesn't cease to become a Christian. You do not lose your salvation. But if you're no longer useful, what are you good for? In the hands of the living God, and when God looks at your life in his hands, can he use you? God requires salt. And if you're lacking salt, what are you good for? Forgive me. I just have to preach it. Just as it's on my heart tonight. God is clear that he requires salt. You can still be a Christian. You not lose your salvation. But you lose your purpose. And God can no longer use it. Brother Benham talks about his brother Howard. He says that he had a call of God in his life. But because of the choices he made, and because of his associations, God could not use him. Still a Christian, still safe, but no longer useful because the salt has lost its saltiness. It is our purpose and responsibility to make sure that we're always useful. At the moment's notice, one doesn't need in the church, and God needs a vessel he can use, he better be able to find somebody. But thank God, he always has a weakness. Thank God, God is never without a weakness. There's always going to be a cruise resort somewhere. No matter what the situation is, God is always going to have a man or a woman that he can use. I pray every day, and I pray this past week, I say, Lord... Don't never let me be in a situation where you need somebody and you're looking around and you can't find anybody. Don't, let me, don't never let me be in a room where God needs to move on the scene and he's looking for a vessel. He says, I can't use him. Why? Because John has lost his saltiness. What is it good for in this situation? Nothing. We become useless as far as God's purpose is concerned if we lose our saltiness. 
Now, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And we're talking about salt being a covenant. And Jesus is saying that there's another salt covenant with you disciples. Is that you are going to enter into a covenant with me. And the covenant that the disciples are going to enter in is that they're supposed to be the salt of the earth. They're supposed to be the light of the world. They're, they're supposed to be a city on the hill. The three characteristics of a Christian. Salt like city. But the reason for that is this. He does nothing. That's Brother Burnham. That, but what he does through men. We realize that man is his agent. That's what he chose. He says, why? I don't know. He says, he could make the sun to preach the gospel. He could make the wind to preach the gospel. He could make the wind to do things. But he chose man. God chooses man for his purpose. He could speak through the sun. He could speak through the wind. But he chose man. And he does nothing outside of a man being his agent. Brother says this. It's God working his way back into man to worship and be worshipped through man. God's agency. God does nothing outside of a man being his agent, his helper. Now the word helper here is interesting because back in Genesis chapter 3, God made Eve to be a helpmate. To be able to help Adam. Why? Because Eve was supposed to manifest the light that was in Adam. And if Brother Bonham is saying that God has called man, he's called you and I to be his helper, it means that you and I are going to enter into a covenant with him where we're going to become partners, co-workers, and we're going to work together for his purpose. That you are to manifest his life as Eve was to manifest Adam's life. Because God cannot do anything unless he works through the agency of man. If he wants to save somebody... He's going to need a man. If he wants to heal somebody, he's going to need a man. If he wants to break the chains off of somebody, he's going to need a man. If he wants to change a family, he's going to need a man. If he's going to want to restore a family, he's going to need a man. If he's going to bring prodigals back home, he's going to need a man. God does nothing unless he works through the agency of men. This is why you are now called to be the salt of the earth. Because God can do nothing unless he uses you and I. Is there a loved one that needs to be saved? God needs a man. Is there a prodigal that's been gone for years and years that God needs to restore back? He's going to need a man. Is there a need in the body tonight? People that need to be healed of the sickness? God needs a man. Because God can do nothing unless he uses a man. When there was a message to be delivered in his last day, he found a little bitty man of Kentucky who got so empty and he poured so much salt in that man that his life was so salty that till this day, the message goes on because God found a man. God was able to find a man that he could put salt in. And I pray tonight that the Holy Ghost will find a man, will find a sister, will find a son, will find a father who can empty themselves and God can pour so much salt in them. God requires salt. The thing is, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. And as the father has sent me, how did the father send him? The father sent him, went with him, in him. So send I you. He's sending the church the same way God sent him. My, Jesus is sending the church. 
the same way God the Father sent him. How did God the Father send Jesus? The Father went with him and in him. That's why Jesus said, I will be with you, even in you. Because he's going to send you the same way God the Father sent him. He said, Christ sends the church, and he goes in the church, and you are the church. Not the building. You are the church. He said, God is expressing himself to the world. No man had seen the Father at any time. Because the Father is the Spirit. The only way to see the Father was to see Jesus, the Son. The only way to see the Son is to see you. Because you have to be the express, the expression of the Son of God. The same way He was the expression of God the Father. God was in Christ reconciling the world with Himself. And if the same Spirit of Christ is in you, He gives you a ministry of reconciliation. He makes you co-worker with him. Matthew 18, 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that I'm in partnership with my Father. And he sent me with a purpose. And I work with the Father. That's why he says, the Father worketh, I worketh hitherto. What is he saying? Is that I and the Father work together. See, God will show Jesus... What he wants done with the word. And Jesus as a son will perform it. So Jesus was working and his works was expressing the burden of the heart of the father. And now he's saying, I send you the same way God sent me. Which means that when you know what he wants done with the word. When you can receive what his burden is. And you get to work because you are a co-worker. You are the branches. A vine cannot produce and cannot bear any fruits. Can it? Christ cannot, Brother Ram says, God cannot produce any fruit for himself. He can bear himself fruit. But he produces a life that goes into the branches, which is you. And then you bear the fruits. That I'm trying to show you that whatever God intends or desires to do, he cannot do it without you. You are his agent. So you are directly connected with everything Christ does. All his plans, all his ambitions, all his desires, all his burdens, all his purpose is directly connected with a man that he can use. John chapter 6, and this is, Brother Murphy, one year, last Wednesday, says, and this is the Father's will. The Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he had given me, I should lose nothing. But she raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believe on him may have everlasting life. So the life of Jesus was focused, solely focused on the works of the Father. Because Jesus understood God can do anything without me. Because I am the vessel he's chosen for this purpose. So he's going to take away the sin of the world. He needs a man. If he's going to go and forgive the woman of adultery, he needs a man. If he's going to go in Samaria and touch a little woman by the well, he's going to need a man. That's what John chapter 4 verse 5 says. Verse 4 says, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? It was a burden in the heart of God. There's a little seed in Samaria that I need to get to, but I'm going to need a man. And Jesus made sure that it was the purpose of his life to always be useful to the Father. Everyone says this. Did you notice God came down in the cool of the evening? The setting of the sun. There is something about when it starts to get night. People think of church and God. 
when I read, I read this quote, I, I, I began to think about Brother Johnny, and I, and I messaged him, and I said, Brother Johnny, what time of the day God dealt, dealt with you in your, in your room? He said, evening. I said, praise the Lord. That's what Brother Johnny says. He says, there's something about evening time. You know, you can be a sinner. You can have lost sons and daughters. There's something about evening time. Every now and then, when they're alone in the night, in the room at night, every now and then, they begin to think about God. There's something about evening time. Abraham says, and in the cool of the evening, he will come down and commune with them. And, and there he lost that fellowship because sin would not let him do it. And then he was made flesh and dwelt among us in order that he could come back again in man and live in man and restore a man to a state of communion with him again. That's the purpose of the Holy Ghost. He says, it's the Father again, God the Father dwelling in you, working out his plans to finish his plan of redemption, working through you. Making you a co-worker with him. Giving you a place. Giving you a part for your fallen, lost brother and sister. Giving you his spirit and his love to go hunt the lost as it did in the Garden of Eden. Adam, Adam, where are you? When Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, God came in the cool of the evening. That great pillar of fire looking for Adam. But in this day, in these days... Not only there's one Adam that's fallen, there's many sons of Adam falling in sin. God says, I'm going to take the spirit that's in me, and I'm going to put it in men and women that are going to be the salt of the earth. And I'll take my spirit and put it in them that they can have the same burden and say, Adam, Adam, where are you? He has called you to be a co-worker in his plan of redemption, which means that the burden of God for lost souls is your burden for lost souls. God has a burden. How is he going to express it? Through a man. He's going to find his little sister. He's going to find a little sister who's going to live a life so salty that a little Dwight Moody will be convicted by that life. And then through that Moody, he's going to bring many souls to the kingdom. He's going to find a little man somewhere that he can empty and pour so much salt in that man. And then through that man, you begin to affect so many other lives. He's going to need a man that he can fill with salt to go after the lost. I love this quote. It says, we know that you only speak through human lips. You made man your agency. So one day you were standing and you said, and you looked upon the harvest and said, it's ripe. You said, pray that the Lord of the harvest, that he will send laborers in his harvest. It says, and you are the Lord of the harvest. But you so connected your program, you and man together. You do nothing apart from that. He said, when it comes to the harvest... When it comes to finding the last seed, God is so connected, God and man, in this program. In other words, that for the last seed to be found, it's going to take a man. It's going to take a man. It's going to take a brother. It's going to take a sister. It's going to take a son. It's going to take a daughter. Because God has connected you and him in his burden for souls. We are partners with you, he says. It's got to be us together. We realize that not even an angel can do it. If God could use an angel, he would. If God could use an angel, he would. But he uses men. He uses men. And Jesus told his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But then Peter betrayed him. Peter denied him, right? He said, I don't know the man. And when Jesus was crucified, they all ran from him. Why? But Jesus was prophesying. 
he was saying, there's going to become an upper room experience. In Acts chapter 2, there's going to be an upper room experience. And I'm going to empty you. All of you guys will be empty cruises. And out of heaven, I'll bring a pillar of fire. And that pillar of fire is going to fill all of you with salt. And once they got salty at the day of Pentecost, Peter could stand and preach the gospel. And 3,000 souls were convicted. Why? Because a man was filled with salt. Because his life was now salty. It was not the Peter that, be- that denied Jesus. It was not the coward man that he used to be. Now he was a man who was the salt of the earth. And I threw a life so filled with salt. God could bring conviction. Stephen became so filled with salt. That when they were stoning him. And, and he, he said, Lord, forgive them. And Paul was standing there holding his clothes. He wasn't convicted then, Brother Barnum says. But that life so affected him. That life so affected Paul. He couldn't get, get away from it. Till eventually he was converted. And he said, I'm not worthy because I've persecuted the church of God. Why? Because a salty man called Stephen impacted his life. That's the power of salt. You are called to be the salt of the earth. Not necessarily to preach a sermon, but Brother says to live such a life. Such a testimony. A life that affects other people. When you eat something that has no salt, and you put some salt in it, you know. You know that somebody put salt in this food. You know now the difference between an unsavoring meat and what it meat with salt. You know the difference. You cannot affect the difference. You cannot impersonate salt. To live such a life that when you come in contact with a lost sinner, oh God, that's my burning Lord. Don't let me preach a sermon. Don't let me just preach and quote and quote and quote. Brother Bottom says it's a testimony without saying a word. Such a life, such a life for your parents, fathers, and mothers. You have your children with you. May you live such a life. It's not gonna be doctrine. It's not going to be uh, singing songs. It's not going to be good morals. It's going to be the impact of salt. That's what's going to do it. If somebody's going to get thirsty, somebody needs to be salty. But if the salt loses its savor, it only looks like salt. It looks like it. It looks like a Christian. It dresses like a Christian. It might talk like a Christian, but there is no impact. And I'm not talking about a holy life. That's not it. I'm not talking about like just living a good moral life. You can find good people out there in denominations who live a good moral life. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something. That difference maker. That you cannot explain. That you cannot describe. But you just know that this person is different. There is something about the life of a believer. Wherever he goes, people feel the impact of his life. They might not declare it, they might not admit it, but when they go back home and sometimes alone at night and they begin to think about God, they think about that salty life. Why can't I be like that person? They have something I don't have. I mean, I know what it is. I'm not like good with the doctrine, I'm not like good with William Branham as a prophet, but I know that there's something about their lives that I've not seen anywhere in no other churches, in no other denominations. Their life, there's just something about it. What is it? It's salt. That's what it is. It's salt. They cannot describe it. They don't know what it is, but Jesus said it. It's the salt that's in you that makes them thirsty. I know we're burning for our loved ones. That's my burden. We're burning for souls. We're burning for God to move. We're burning to see our loved ones restored back. But I begin to wonder, oh God, do I have enough salt? 
I think I took part of it. Oh, God. Do I have enough salt? That's my burden tonight. That I can be able to live such a life. Such a life. Not because of doctrine. Not because I know the course of the message. Not because of how I speak. But there's just something. There's just something. You know what it is? It's the presence of the Lord. It's because you fellowship with Him. It's because you stay in the Word. Because you feed upon the Word. Your Word diet begins to affect your life. So that when you're in the midst of a dying world, every single sinner begins to feel the impact of the salt that you have. That's my burden. We can cry and pray for our loved one's parents. But when your children come once in a while for dinner, are they affected by salt? Are they really affected by salt? Or is it just your prayer saying, Lord, deal with my daughter, deal with my son? It's a salt. God requires salt. Your prayers, your sacrifices, your offerings, all of this is good. But if there isn't any salt in it, what effect will this, is, is it going to have on people? Oh, such and such has been backsliding for years and, you know, only God knows when. No, there has to be a burden. There has to be a burden. There has to be an agonizing burden in the souls of men and daughters of God. That will be, Lord, make my life so salty. And brother, I'm saying that salt is only... Salt is only a savor if it comes into contact. That means that when I come into contact with my loved ones, when I come into contact with an unbeliever, Brother Brown says, if there's something in them to thirst for, God will create that thirst if you are salty. See, that's the partnership that you have a part to do. You have to be salty, and God has to create the thirst. But if you're not salty, how are they going to be thirsty? And some of you, you live in, you work in places where you are the only Christian. You're the only Christian. And you know sometimes as believers, we don't want to mingle with worldly people. I understand that. But if not you, how else are they going to see Christ? See, you have to use the opportunity you've been given. That's your domain. God has called you where you are to be the salt in that place. So that by your life, by your life. Brother Adam says that when the salt loses its savor, he says, what is it? It's the strength of the gospel. So it's not in theory only. It's in power and demonstration. It has to be a holy, powerful life. Power in prayer. I was in a question and answer. Somebody asked Brother Adam and said, is any believer filled with the Holy Ghost going to experience uh, signs and wonders? Brother Adam says, Jesus said so. I love that answer. Jesus said so. Mark chapter 16. These are the signs. That will follow those that believe. See, after our life is salty, the word has to be fulfilled. Now, the only way that the world will ever see Christ is when they see it in you. You see, that's the only way. You see, they're conscious or numb to the sunsets, to the color of the birds, to the leaves, to the grass, to the flowers and the music and the message and so forth. My he says, the conscious and numb to the message that we enjoy. But until we get to a place where we can display Christ. Whew. See, now remember, each one of you tonight, you are God's billboard. And the world will look at you to see where Christ is. See, our loved ones are dying in sin. Backsliding sons and daughters in our midst here. Their conscience is numb. You can say, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. Or why aren't you going to get tired of living that life? Their conscience is numb. But it says, but when they can see a salty life, 
that goes beyond the conscious. That goes beyond the reasoning. When you begin to peel all the layers that they built forth, all the walls, and you begin to go beyond all the walls, in the depths of their soul, there is a desire for God. But that desire was going to be quickened by something real. Not something made up, not by an impersonation, not by doctrine, not by good teaching, but it's going to be a salty life that penetrates so deep. I don't know what it is about my mom and dad, but I know they are real Christians. God requires salt. Burden for salt. We need the fire of God's love in our hearts. We cannot get a warm by some historical doctrine. It's got to be the same Pentecostal fire. We've got to have the Holy Ghost now that's burning in their hearts, their love. Since they would, they, they would die one for another. They went forth with only one objective, win souls for Christ. One motive, love, win souls for Christ. That was the burden of the disciples. That was the burden of the disciples. To the God, the, the God, Christ, the burden of God was that the disciples would be co-workers with him. Not, go, not going about life doing their own thing. But intertwine. His burden becomes your burden. His desire becomes your desire. Think about this. I began to think about this. Is that God's heart is so burdened for his children. Because after Eve fell in the Garden of Eden... And I was just going to paint you a picture. There came news. You're going to be a father again. Because you already had a son. Adam. It's like, now Adam is about to be a father. And since God doesn't have children, grandchildren, so Abel was not going to be a grandchild, but Abel was going to be a child. Correct? So Abel was going to be God's child. And God heard the news. He was going to be a father. Buried me. And he comes down to find out that that child that will be born will be deformed. Now, Brother Johnny, you, went, you, you, you know what that's like. Brother Dan, who's streaming, you know what it's like. When you go see the doctor and they tell you, your son, your child is going to be deformed. You know what the burden that puts on the father? You know the burden that puts on the mother? That your child will be born with a deformity. It might not live more than one month. And now God is hearing the news that every single son that's going to be born from there on will be born deformed in sin. And that puts a burden on the heart of a father that I'm going to have children and all of them will be deformed. And now the only way to save them is to put his life in them. So what he does, he finds you. And he put his life in you. He says, now you go. Because I have other children that I need to save from sin. The same God that saved you. And I put the Holy Ghost in you. He wants you to have the same burden for other ones. God see us deformed children out there. Think of the burden of the heart of a father who has deformed children. And then we're busy with our own cares. God forbid. Then we're busy with our own needs. I was thinking on Sunday, and, and as I've been thinking this past few weeks, it's just dawned upon my heart. Sometimes we, we pray, we worship. And the Holy Spirit comes on in the service like he did on Sunday, like he does every service in a special way. And he comes because he knows you have a need. And then he comes to somebody, perhaps Kalista, and he says, here I am, Kalista, what's your need? What's your need? And no doubt you say, Lord, this is my burden. These are my needs. But I began to wonder. I wonder if somebody can say, no, Lord. No, God. 
what's your need? What's your need? I know that you've come down because you want to minister to me. I know that you've come down because you're so concerned about my burdens. But Lord, that's not why I worshipped. That's not why I invited you to come. I invited you to come so I can ask you, what is your need? What is your burden? And God is like, somebody who's concerned about my burdens, about my needs. I wanted somebody, God can find that person tonight. One person I will say, Lord, I have many needs. I have many burdens. But tonight, not my needs, not my burdens. What is your need? What is your burden, Lord? What is heavy on your heart? Not what is heavy on mine, but what is heavy on yours. And I'll tell you what he'll say, souls. Souls. That's my burden. That you will be salt of the earth. That you'll be the light of the world. That's my burden. That through your life, you can convict others. That through your salty life, my other deformed sons can be thirsty for me. That is what my burden is. And I'll say, Lord, if that's what your burden is, then I want your burden. Then pour out the salt, oh God. Fill me with the burden of God. As Brother Bonham will say, to have the privilege of a burden for souls. I wonder if the Holy Spirit tonight can come to you. And then you can speak back and say, no, Lord. No, my needs. What's your burden? See, that's why God could come to Hattie Wright as we're on Sunday and say, that said the Lord. Give her whatever she wants. Because he knew that the heart of Hattie Wright and his heart were beating in unison. And you know, he, she was only going to ask what was in his heart. See, she could have asked the healing of her sister. But her mom says, you're poor, ask for a million dollars. Those will be her needs. Those will be her needs if I could get more money, if my sister can get healed. Those will be her needs. But God knew that in her, she had the ability to ask for his needs. And what God wanted at that very hour, souls. The heart of the Father has always been souls. That's why he requires salt, because his burden is for souls. I wonder, EBA, if if the Holy Spirit could go to you now and say, EBA, what is your need right now? No doubt you say, Lord, let me see again. And that will be appropriate. But I wonder if tonight you can say, Lord, my need is your burden for souls. And that begins, the need, that begins to be the need and the pulsation of every heart in the, every single pew. When every single person in the Bible way desires only one thing, souls. That your burden is his burden. Well, what we need today is a consecrated life where you have to speak nothing. I am convicted by this quote because what we need is a consecrated life where you have to speak nothing. God speaks in your place and he proves what you are. It's not about son, you need to get saved. All the things are good. It's not about daughter, you need to get right with God. All the things are good, but it's a consecrated life. I believe in the wash revival, right? Where they prayed and every single person that partook of the food at the table began to weep because they got convicted by the presence of God. Conviction at dinner. I began to pray. Perhaps somebody tonight can get so salty. Perhaps a mother can get so salty that when you invite your wayward loved one at home for dinner, that after the first bite of that meal, they will become so affected by your consecrated salty life 
that you wouldn't have to say a word, but God will speak for you. And before you know it, it's like, I can't do this life anymore. Lead me to that Jesus Christ to serve. Why? Because of a salty life that came in contact with a sinner. That's what it means to be the soul of the earth. That's what it means to have such a salty life, to be burdened, burdened for souls. Brother Bram talks about that sister whose husband wasn't a Christian. And he was in a bar drinking with his friends. And they were talking about Christians. He says, I don't believe there's no such thing as Christians anymore. He says, oh, wait a minute. My wife is a real Christian. Right? He's like, you know what? I'll tell you what. Why don't we go home? We're going to act real drunk. And I will show you what she's made of. They're like, okay. They went home and started acting really drunk and talking really loud and breaking stuff and throwing things left, right, center. And they say, fix me up a meal. Come on. You know I'm hungry. Fix me up something to eat. Well, what he doesn't know, he's about to come in contact with salt. That's what's about to happen, salt. Right? She goes in the kitchen. She fixes up uh, some eggs and comes back. He takes the eggs, throws them on the wall. You know I don't like my eggs that way. She said, oh, I'm sorry, honey. Let me, let me fix them up the way you like them. She said, oh, what do you mean? You know exactly what you're doing. I don't like my eggs. I was like, it's okay, honey. It's okay. Let me fix them up the way you like. I began to wonder, Lord, yeah. if that were me, yeah. if that were you, right? If your wife came back home and acted in a way that she's not supposed to act, is there enough salt in you? If your husband came back home acting in a way he's not supposed to act or said something that he wasn't supposed to say, is there enough salt in you? If that woman was you in that story, would the outcome be the same? If that woman was you, brother, would the outcome be the same? Would you be able to stand the test in front of five unbelievers and live such a salty life? She didn't know she was being tested. She didn't know. So it wasn't make-believe or pretense. She wasn't pretending. She was living out a salty life. Before you know it, they all knelt down. She led all of them to the Lord because they came in contact with salt. You cannot deny it. Once you come into contact with salt, it changes the chemistry of the meat. It preserves the life in it. Why? Salt. A salty life. A consecrated life. A life filled with power. A life filled with grace. A life filled with convicting power. Where you can walk by somebody, you don't even have to say your word. They know there's something different. There's something different about you. And I'm not talking about outside. I'm talking about at home. That's what I'm talking about. And there's a quote that says, if a man is a, is a saint abroad and the devil at home, God considers him for what he is at home. Right? So when I'm talking about a salty life, I'm not talking about the workplace. That's fine. I'm not talking about university. That's great. I'm talking about at home. When the people as close to you, the closest people to you, your wife, your husband, your children, can see you live a salty life on a day-to-day basis, then it begins to affect them. I'll share something with you. Brad, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. But... I've been here for 10 years now, and I cannot recall once that I left Brother Tom's presence. And I speak before God, I'm honest. That I left his presence without wanting more of God. I don't think I've ever told you that, Brother Tom. But your life so affects me every time. I can spend 10 minutes with that man. When I go home, I say, I need more of God. He doesn't have to say anything, but there's something about a life. 
that convicts me every time. It's not that I live in sin, but it's I want more because of a son of God who is so salty. I wonder, I wonder if that's your testimony tonight. If there's something about you amongst other message believers, amongst backsliders, it doesn't matter. But they're like, I want what that person has. Or do you take the luxury to be very much human because you're amongst believers? You're like, I don't have to be special because they're all Christians. But if I'm in the world, I have to act different. At home, amongst believers, amongst believers too, that you live such a close life to Christ that even those who have the Holy Ghost will want a closer consecration with Christ because of salt on display. Salt on display, a life that is so salty. That's the burden of the Holy Spirit. He's burdened for salt. He wants to find a Florida Bible way tonight. Men and women, that will say, Lord, empty me out tonight. Empty me out tonight and pour in the salt. Yes, we need healing. I'm burning for Sister Vanya, Sister Clara, and all the sisters that that are struggling in their health. I'm burning for my brother E.B. over there. I'm burning. Believe me, I am. But God's heart... God's heart is a salty life. Because if you're salty, then he can use you to heal somebody. If you're salty, he can use you to deliver somebody. If you're salty, he can use you to forgive somebody. If you're salty, he can use you to unlock things in somebody else's life. Why salt? Is that which is unsavory? Can it be eaten without salt? God doesn't want offerings and sacrifices lacking salt. That shall not suffer. The salt of the covenant of the Lord to be lacking in your sacrifices. I'm going to close. I was listening to a song yesterday. And I messaged Brother Darren about that song. It's they come from the east and west. There's a verse that smote me. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. I wonder if you can put those, those, the verse up there in front of me and behind me, if possible. Can you say behind me? I was singing this song. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. No, that's not the verse. It's from, they come from the east and west. I don't think you have that verse. Okay, there's a verse that says, Oh, Jesus is coming soon. Our troubles would then be o'er. What if our Lord, this moment should come for those who are free from sin, right? He says, and will your heart be filled with joy or sorrows and great despair? When our Lord in glory comes, we'll meet, we'll meet him up in the air. And I began to sing that song and I began to ask myself, that's a very good question. If our Lord should this moment come for those who are free from sin, we are saved the blood covers us, we're free from sin. But I begin to think, would my heart be filled with joy? Or would there be a great despair knowing that my loved one is not going to make it? Is the coming of the Lord going to be a subject of joy? Or is it going to bring me great despair knowing that if you come this very moment, my son is not going to make it? 
If you come this very moment, my daughter is not going to make it. If you come this very moment, my child is not going to make it. Will it bring me joy or despair knowing that if he was to come this moment, they wouldn't make it? And I begin to ask myself, then why linger? Why not work? Why not be burdened? Why not weep? Why not cry? So that when that moment comes, indeed my heart is filled with joy. Because I know not only will I make it, my son will be there. My daughter will be there. My loved ones will be there. Then the coming of the Lord can be a subject of great joy. That's how it's going to be. I don't believe that the Lord is going to come and somebody's going to be worried. My son, no, worry now. Pray now. Weep now. Be salty now. So that they can be there. And then when he comes in glory, you and your loved ones, you can meet him up in the air. That's the burden of my heart tonight is that our lives can be so salty. So salty. Salt of the earth. To bring conviction to our loved ones. The burden of the heart of God, the will of the Father, is that he will lose not one. Not one. Not one. When you're burdened with the cares of life, you want a better paying job, it's a good need to have. You want to make decisions between two different job offers, those are great needs. You wonder if you should move to another country, that's fine. But God, all along, he's burdening souls. His souls. That's why I say, can we just put all our burdens aside? Pray for all your burdens, put it aside, because at the end of the service tonight, not a single person is going to be thinking about their own needs. Because tonight, each one of us, we're going to say, Lord, your needs, your burden. And I'm going to empty myself tonight. I'm going to reconsecrate myself tonight. I'm going to empty myself to be an empty cruise that you can pour it the salt. And if I've lost my saltiness, let this be tonight another upper room experience where God can pour us so much salt till every member in every pew will be so salty. And you might, even, you might not even know the impact of your life. All you need to worry about is to have enough salt. Somebody might never come to you and say, your life affected me. But in glory, that's when you find out all the lives that have been touched by a salty life. Musicians, why don't you come to stand? Brother, why you share your prayer in the prayer meeting? To be a witnessing machine. That's what you desire, right? Salt. That's what you need tonight. Salt. Where Timothy, you shared about being the light of the world. That's what we need tonight. Salt. Brother Sam, you shared an experience that you had that morning and when the Holy Spirit came into your track and you thought about somebody and you called that person. That's what we need tonight. Salt. And Brother Michael so appropriately said, tonight, he said, why don't we put ourselves on that praying board? Because I'm there every Monday. I'm not saying anything negative. Forgive me if I offend anybody. But I'm there Monday after Mondays. And so often I know my, my, my co-worker needs this prayer. My, my uh, mother-in-law needs this. Oh, my friend at work needs this. There's nothing wrong with those needs. But I began to look at that token board that sits there Monday after Monday. And what is the burden for that board when after an hour of prayer requests? It's our needs. Forgive me, prayer brothers and prayer meeting, forgive me. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just have to be honest and say what the Lord put on my heart. It's the burden on my heart. And I pray, Lord, not only will I be able to share the burden, but through the preaching of the word, may you take that burden and put it in them. That when you go back home, you won't be able to sleep. That's what my that's what my past three weeks have been for me. At a random time during the day, my heart begins to ache because I'm burdened and I'll 
put myself aside and go pray. And I, Lord, I can't take this animals and bear it. I don't know what this burden is. I don't what is this burden, but I have to pray through it until it's gone. And I may be fine for another day or two. Then it comes back out of nowhere. And I pray that same burden will be on you. Will be on you. Will be on you, Father, whoever is a wayward lost son. That you'll be so burning for his soul. That you'll have such a consecrated life. That all you have to do is put your arm around him. And not say a word. The presence of God. Because you spend time with him. The presence of God begins to affect him. With you sisters. Who have friends. That are backslidden. Who don't serve the Lord. With you who have family members. Who don't serve the Lord. And you've prayed and you prayed. Tonight. Salt. Tonight that's what you need. Salt. And you know what? We live in this world full of contaminants. That ultimately we're going to lose our saltiness because of the cares of life. But every now and then we need a cleansing from Calvary. That we can, God can restore to us the purity of our salt. That we can be useful to his purpose. Amen. Not doctrine. Salt. Salt. Somebody else can talk about a doctrine. Somebody else will talk them out of the doctrine. But a salty life cannot be disputed. God requires salt. What can we sing? Maybe I want to sing. Give me Jesus. Brother Michael. Is there a song that can help me with a song here? Let's bow our heads and begin to ponder. On the word that we heard tonight. It might not be your expected Wednesday night service, but it's a burden of the word of the Lord that has to be delivered. God requires salt. Every sacrifice of praise, every lived out life, salt. God says, I don't want any unsavory sacrifice. Salt. If you're lacking salt tonight, let it be a night of replenishment. My desire tonight is that we'll end this prayer this night in a prayer of consecration. That you make the, the, the pure way you're sitting at your altar. And if you want to come to the front, that's also fine. It's up to you. I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything you don't want to do. But the altar is available. The pure is available. And every single soul and every member of Clover Bible is going to empty himself. And God is going to pour so much salt. So much salt. That those loved ones that we're praying for, that our prayers will be mingled with the impact of our salty lives. And they can be convicted and surrendered to Christ because of salt. Let it be a night of reconsecration. And say, Lord, forgive me if I'm not salty. Forgive me. God bless you, Brother Sam. Forgive me if I failed to be salty somewhere. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, I used to be such a witness. But where is the burden for souls tonight, Lord? Lord, I pray, pour in the salt. Lord, in my friend group, I'm the Christian in my friend group, and I have so many friends, and they're not being affected by my life. Am I lacking salt? If I'm lacking salt tonight, Lord, pour the salt. Lord, my son and my daughter, they come home for dinner every week. Is my life salty enough to affect them? Perhaps I go fishing with them. I go hunting with them. Perhaps I go shopping with them. Is my life salty enough that when they leave my presence, they know they came in contact with a real Christian, not an impersonation? Or is there no difference at all? They come and they go. No effect. They come and they go. No effect. 
Are they coming in, in contact with salt? That's my desire. I'll be at the altar tonight. I want to be there because I need more salt in my life. I need more salt in my life. Not because I preach the word. Anybody can preach the word, I, I guess, if God has called them to do so. But if I can have a life that is so salty that I don't have to preach a sermon, I don't have to read a quote, I just have to be me. And then God does the speaking because of salt. Salt. That's what He requires tonight. Salt. It doesn't, it doesn't require honey. He doesn't require sweetness. He requires salt. The difference between today and tomorrow is salt. Salt can make a huge difference in our lives. Put a little bit of salt in some unsavory food, it makes a difference. Put a little bit of salt in water, it sweetens the water. Put a little bit of salt somewhere, it makes a difference. And if you want your life to be so filled with salt, then let tonight be the night where you can empty yourself. Brother Michael.
salt that's needed in your life you can ask him he's called you to be the salt of the earth he's called you to be a co-worker with him a Christ cannot do anything unless he finds a man unless he finds a woman that he can use but if the salt loses his saltiness what is it good for I trust that tonight you can empty yourself I trust that tonight each person here can go back home Reconsecrated, that the, your lives can be so different. This is not a service to say that you're living in sin, far beyond it. This is a service to say we need more salt. We need more salt in our lives because it's a salty life, only a salty life that can speak better than your words. It can speak better than your doctrine. It can speak, it's a greater witness. It's a lived out life, a life of power, a life filled with burdens for souls. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know if we should sing one more song or if we should close. Maybe we can sing one more time. We can sing the song, Give Me Jesus. And then we can pray and close.
Jesus is the ultimate salt. He lived such a salty life that he drew men to him. And here we are because we thirst after him because he is salty. In fact, he was so salty that in John chapter 4, when he met this little woman at the well, and he began to speak to her, she said, give me that water. Give me that water that you have. Why? She came in contact with salt. Give me Jesus. Give me salt. Make me salty. That's the burden of my heart tonight, and I trust that God can take that burden and place it on your heart, that wherever you are, you can be so burdened for salt, that you will be the salt of the earth, wherever God has called you to be. Brother Timothy Motoko, I wonder if you come in and close in prayer, if you will. Give me Jesus. To see the burden of God going not just to save us God but to walk together with you and we have understood the very ministry that you have provided in this church as a brother Tom have manifested it and the vision is to go after the lost soul oh God how we thank you for your provision we have seen these salt in the life of the man of God has been behind this pulpit, beginning with our dear pastor. He was so burdened and still burdened, filled with this salt life of Jesus Christ himself. Father, he was in contact with the salt, the light as he himself said. We have no salt in ourselves, but you are the salt. Father, we pray that tonight what you have done for the prophet, for our dear pastor and brother Tom, as we have heard again, way down in Philippines, they can see. And brother Jean has witnessed. We will witness when you come in contact with the salt, you are thirsty. Father God, I pray that this will be a service that will really understand, take us in our responsibility towards our loved one. Bless you, the man of God who has spoken under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the vision that has been set in this church to go after lost soul. Bless each one of us even now as we be departing from this position or this presence. May you, God, provide the need. And we need to understand your need is more greater than what we can have and gives us peace. Father, we thank you for everything. Forgive us when we do not do what you want us to do. Many times we want to do it, Father, but we understand. Take us more in a deep love with you. I pray that the same salt that you are will 
manifest our life, even now and as we depart from this presence. I pray in the lovely name of our Jesus Christ. Amen. Bless you. You're dismissed tonight. You can go back home and meditate on what we heard tonight. Remember in your prayer closet, remember the burden, the burden of the Lord is for souls. You're dismissed. God bless you.